0: the death of the Talmudim of Rebbe Kiva the 24,000. I was with with Noam Konigsberg. You know of Noam Konigsberg? No, Noam. I was with him on Shabbos. And uh, we were talking about Lagba Omer. Obviously, Lagba Omer last year was was not the Lagba Omer we were hoping for. We had uh, obviously Noam lost the Talmud for for us in the yeshiva so five boys in the yeshiva were best friends with Donnie Mars and they were people that grew up with him like their entire life, nursery school, elementary school, middle school high school, this was the first time they had ever been separated not only that, but Two boys were in the pileup, meaning the two boys were moments away from death. In fact, one of them is confident that he was. He he's confident that he had fallen on top of somebody who was who was nifting, and mean, he was lying on top of a dead body. He was pulled out by his shoes. They, this, meaning his shoes were left behind. There's a picture of all of the pairs of like shoes because a lot of people were pulled out by their shoes. He had yellow high tops on. So like you could see the yellow high tops like in the shoes. His shoes were different. And there's a lot of trauma around this. Especially in our show right now, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of talk. Like used to be we were looking forward to Bomer. It's a new world. So I don't know if you know, you know what the yeshivas are doing? You know, it's a very beautiful thing. We're all going to Shalvim. All the yeshivas together are going to Shalvim to celebrate Bomer. It's going to be like, they, they, I think a whole bunch of organizations got together. Their sponsors, some Liner is going to sing. there's going to be like a big madura over there. So I was talking to Noam over Shabbos, and he said he's looking forward to like a healing Lag Baomer. He's looking forward to like we can reframe because right now by us Lag Baomer is like a shrek. It's like a like some of the Shana Pet boys who were there last year are like mamish holding by PTSD. One of the boys said to me, he said, Rabbi, I, I, just, I can't learn. I haven't been able to learn since we started counting Sphir Zahomer. I said, what do you mean? He said, Rabbi, we're counting two Lachba Omer. Like every day is like another day closer to, I was moments away from dying. We can't, can be massive what these things mean for a person to be there. We took the boys back to Meron. We took them, the Shonabat boys went back to Meron. We didn't tell them what to do. We said, do, do whatever feels comfortable for you. And they they went naturally. It was an interesting thing. They all went back to the places that they were on that night. They stood there in that place just to like revisit that experience. Usually, Lagba B'Omer has the exact opposite. Usually, Lagba B'Omer is the it's it's the it's it's the end, right? Now we're moving into right. Lag B'Omer is the switch where we move from Kavod to Chai. The first thirty-two days of the Omer are bigamatria Kavod, and the last eighteen are bigamatria Chai. So we move away from the as we'll express soon, the shalol nagu into the world of Chaim by us last year. Lag was a world of Misa; it wasn't a world of Chaim. And so it was so like there have been tragedies in Klai Israel before, but that was so low normali. We couldn't we couldn't understand what does that mean that in the, in this moment, when everything is supposed to start getting better, it was the worst possible thing it could be. So we didn't know what to do with it. Bezer Hashem, like 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 was saying, we can go back to like a normal, like a tikkun of whatever Lagba Umar was last year, and, and to move on. All of the Talmudim of Rav Akiva died, all 24,000, and not only the 24,000, but even the five Talmudim that Rav Akiva built, all of Tyre with, those Talmudim also died in this month. Most of us don't know that, right? Most of us think 24,000 Talmudim of Rav Akiva died in these 32 days. No, it was every Talmud that Rav Akiva had died in these 32 days, every one of them. Even everybody died in this tkufa. So what's the pshat in that? What's the pshat that they all died in this tkufa? And of course, the famous question we should ask, aside from that question, which is also a famous question, Shalom Nagu Kavuzzebizah is not something you're of misa for. Right? Like uh could you imagine if a person wasn't, let's say, speaking nicely to another person? Maybe they said something like Every time you talk, it makes me feel anxious. I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, I'm, joking, that. I'm joking. I'm joking. Because she asked before. No, it is, it, is it good mitos or is it not good mitos? No, it it's fair. certainly not good mitos to say that in a sheer. So don't worry. I'm with you. Yeah? Listen. The, um, but we're not of so nobody dropped dead right now. Right? there so, we go. You know, it's early still. It's only 10 to 5, right? Yeah. That's for sure. Yikes. I'm just trying to help you feel better. Thank you. I really appreciate You're it. You're welcome is not something you have Misa for that's another question there's a third question and a fourth question but they really the third and fourth questions go together the Megala Amuchot famous Me-Kubba, the Megala Muko says and this already is a Chiddush I don't know that most of us will know this that 24,000 Talmidim of Rav are Keneged another twenty four thousand. Anyone know where we see another twenty four thousand in the tower? Two places we see twenty four thousand in the tower, aside from the twenty four thousand coming in the river Kiba I didn't know this either, so don't feel bad. The twenty four thousand people from Shevet Shimon that died in the Magefa in the plague, after Bilam tried to curse Klal Yisrael and was unsuccessful he gave advice to Balak, said, make sure that Klal Yisrael is right there by the B'nai so that Klal Yisrael will be mezana with the B'nai and we know that they ended up worshiping Bapaar, and 24,000 people died in that Magepha before Pinchas killed Cosby and Zimri. So the 24,000 from Shevet Shimon are connected, connected to, in some way, the 24,000 Talmidim of Akiva, question is, it's an obvious question, like Like here's 24,000, there, there's 24,000, but they, those two stories seem to be very disparate stories. They both included a plague, they both included 24,000, but one was worshipping Baal Pa'ar and being Mazana with Benos Moab, and the other was Shalom Nagu so what's the connection? Same exact question, but this time on the Arizal. The Arizal says, there's another 24,000. The 24,000 people that were killed by Shimon and Levi in Shechem. We all know the story, that Dina was violated by Shechem ben Hamar. Shimon and Levi came into Shechem, they gave everyone a bris milah, and then they wiped out 24,000 people from Shechem. So the Arizal says the 24,000, Talmid of river Akiva, are connected to the 24,000 people that Shimon killed. Shimon and Levi killed in Shechem. The same question. What What's my like twenty four thousand? There's twenty four thousand. Sometimes you see these um, connections in the Torah, tari- and you like, you know, they're not a coincidence. But it's also like, sometimes you feel, you ever feel like they're just like hodgepodgeing things together, like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. So what's what's this idea? Is, is Tell me there there's twenty four thousand me of Rekiva. There's twenty four thousand people uh, that died in Shebet Shimon. There's twenty four thousand people in Shrem that died. Okay, what's going on over here? So in order to understand this we need to go back to a yisoid, a principle that we have in Yiddishkeit. The principle is as follows. Everything in the world that's natural is the number seven, right? But seven is not the most natural number, right? If you wanted to say something is natural, you would say it's seven. If you wanted to say that something is the most natural, right, it's the pinnacle of the expression of natural, the number would be 49, seven squared, right? Because you're saying it's, The natural be natural, the most natural something could be, is going to be seven squared, that's going to be 49. In our world, there's two Madregas of 49. There's 49 levels going up, and there's 49 levels going down. And a person stands, very often, somewhere along that path. Am I on this side? Am I on that side? But the secret in Yiddishkeit is as follows. We often think to ourselves, mistakenly, That I'm meant to be going on the ladder that's going up. I'm meant to be going on the 49 levels up. Which is, of course, a good thing. So what happens when a person goes down? Because it does appear to us that it's significant, really important, for a Jew to go down. How do we know that it's important for a Jew to go down? Where do we see it? Everywhere. Everywhere. First of all, Klai Yisrael goes down to Mitzrayim. And what happens in Mitzrayim? We go down to the 49th level of Tommel. So... It must be that there's some value in going down. Otherwise, HaKadosh Baruch Hu would not send us down, ever. In fact, if we really think about it, from a Hashkafic perspective, why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu create the notion of an Aveira to begin with? It's a fair question. No. Why is there, why is there a musuk of an Aveira? A person does an Aveira. Who cares? Maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu should have just made mitzvahs. Why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, need to make an Aveira? It must be that there's something about an Aveira there's something about going down in those 49 levels that's not just like you're capable, but it's important, it's fundamental, it's part of the mission. So one way of thinking about it is as follows. A person who goes down in those moments of going down has the opportunity to create a beer, a clarity in creation itself. I'll play this out on a, uh, a very practical level. Thomas calls me this week, a wonderful guy. Back from Eretz Yisrael. Officially, when you look at him on the outside, he's steighing. He's in yeshiva, he's learning seriously, he's in a top shear. he's doing college. You know, he's a good guy. So he calls me this week, he says, It's an emergency, I have to speak to you. I said, Okay. I was in Connecticut, but I made time spoke. He says, Rabbi, I did an Avera this week that not only have I never done this Avera before, I never thought that I could be a person that would do this Avera. Meaning, and he told me what it was. And it was like, it was like a whoa, Like, you know, there's the line and then there's the line after that and then there's the line after that. So he was three lines over from that. Right? It was like a serious like, shocking. Like a shocking Avera. And he was, he was, he was distraught. How did I get here? I, Rabbi, I made, I made this bad decision, and then this bad decision, and then this bad decision, and somehow I ended up in this place. And I, I, and he's like talking, he's like, I'm at ground zero. Everything that I worked for in my life, all the time and the sweat that I put in not to be this person, and I lost it all. And, and he's, Mama, she's from this. So I kept telling him, like, it's not true what you say. It's wrong, it's factually wrong I, I, I'm not I don't, just, I don't want you to take the wrong message I, I, was, I was not like invalidating of His experience, I'm, it's okay for him to feel That way, but it's also important in life To push back and say like, let's check in. let's get a reality Check, is it over? You did this Is it over for you? In many ways he has the opportunity Now to clarify for himself Who he is In other words, and this is one of the Questions I asked him, I say, are you proud of what you did? He goes, no, of course I'm not proud of what I did. I said, do you enjoy the way you're feeling right now? He goes, this is the worst feeling I've ever felt. I said, so what did you just learn about yourself? Right? In the moment where you're crashing down and everything is falling apart, it also tells you who you are. Like kaviyachal, a husband and a wife, that get into a fight, and the fight is becoming like deeper and deeper, and both are getting more entrenched in the argument, and both are like miserable. They're miserable being entrenched in that argument. So what have they learned about each other in that moment? How deep their love is for each other. They're so angry at each other, and they're miserable being angry at each other. I want so badly to be connected to you. Right? So when we go down, the reason why HaKadosh Baruch created an Aveira is because when we go down, we have an opportunity to discover who we are. And that's Mevaira, the Nitzotzos, of that madrega that we were on. Klaeser went down to Mitzrayim, just as an example, to learn about ourselves that we don't belong in such an environment. When we left, it was a process, right? In the Midbar, what did Klav Yisrael kept saying to Moshe Rabbeinu? Let's go back to... Let's go. We have to go back. We have to go back to Mitzrayim. Every time it was unsafe, we have to go back. Why? Could you imagine a Holocaust survivor saying, let's go back to Auschwitz? Nobody would say that. And Mitzrayim was a million times worse. The Peshat is, they were so deeply entrenched in there that there had to be a bureau to come out of it. And that generation couldn't do it. That's why that generation couldn't enter into Eretz Yisrael. Is they, they, they were so enmeshed in that toxic environment that for them to be mevareh those wasn't going to be possible. It had to be intergenerational tikkun, right? We have intergenerational trauma. We also have intergenerational tikkun. I heard from uh, Daniel Kalish. I'm sure you all know who Daniel Kalish is. Is this like an obsession we have with, <laughs> yeah? So he, we grew up together. He's he grew up right down the block from me. He's a tremendous. It's interesting. He's a tremendous talmachachem. Today it's like everyone knows him for the work that he does. He's a, He's an extraordinary tamochach. Was when he was in base marriage, he was like looked up to as, as, an, as a flourishing tamochach, which he is. He did a podcast. I'm sure you maybe you've heard of it. And if you haven't, it's worth the time. Just spend the time going to this. It's like, I'll rarely tell you to listen to something. But there was a phenomenal podcast that he did. And in the podcast he spoke about like these kids and the things that they're doing and the, the reality that they're expressing in the world He said it's not just their trauma, it's our trauma as a community, as a nation. They're expressing this intergenerational trauma that's been building up for years. But just like there's intergenerational trauma, there's an intergenerational tikkun. Like, we have the capacity to look back and to rectify what was. We're still, we don't even understand how we're still reeling from the Holocaust. We're not the generation that grew up with our parents, like Weinberger speaks about all the time, that he grew up, like, waking up in the middle of the night, hearing the night terror that his parents had. We didn't grow up like that. Maybe we grew up like at an assembly, you know, that they brought in a Holocaust survivor to speak. Our children will not have that bichlal. There'll be no Holocaust survivors left. I remember Mr. Lukowitz, of Levracha, he was a Holocaust survivor. He came to Beit Shemesh to speak. I took my daughters. I said, G- girls, this is like, these are the last Holocaust survivors in the world. You have to like hear this because your kids will not know Holocaust survivors. We still don't understand the intergenerational trauma, of the way that our parents were raised. and I mean, think about it. Imagine being a Jew who grew up in the 50s. And let's say your family didn't lose anyone in the Holocaust. But, like, that was the madubra. That's what everyone was speaking about all the time. It dominated the the entire realm of education. In fact, Lubavitcher Evi's was very against the Holocaust education that was happening. Because he said, you're, you're teaching Yidden, like to, like, be shakua, to, like, be like, and not that we shouldn't have it. He wasn't saying we should ignore it. But he was saying, like, we're giving it to kids at such an early age. And the Rebbe was concerned, what will be with the psychology of children? And it's certainly true now, looking back on it, that he was right. And the Holocaust education had to really be rethought over the, over the years. How do we tell people what happened in a safe and in a healthy way? When a person goes down, it's an opportunity for bira. That's a beautiful thing. So this, this young man who did that terrible averu, he has an opportunity now. He could choose to say that's it, and he could be pyrrical, and he could say, "I did a terrible thing," or he could say, "This isn't working. This is not. This is not me." And it will become the greatest catalyst for his growth. That's what Chazal mean when they say shabali dem, ain't There's something more advantageous about being a baltshuva than there is about being a tzadik. We have no saga who Rav Chaim Kanievsky is a tzadik of Rachel. was. We can't understand it. It's not. A, it's not a normal thing if any ah, of you see him, then if any of you meet Rebetzin or Rebetzin Kaledetsky in your life, could die if you go to Bnei Brak to meet Rebetzin Kaledetsky, his daughter. She's a very, very special person. Reb Chaim was not from this world. He didn't behave in a way that indicated that he was from this world. It's not a normal thing. The amount of Torah that he knew, the, he was, and, and by the way, he was hysterical. He you girls know that? Uh, Do you not hear the stories so How Reb Chaim was so funny? A boy from Mivasar uh, came, he had very long hair. He came to Reb Chaim he got a bracha, and Ruhayim looked at him, and he goes, he looked at his gaba, and he goes, Z'a Ish o'isha? You know, like he, like, he, he was very playful. He was like a very funny person. But he was not from this world. But the guy who's like, one of Rebbe Chaim's talmidim, who knows Shas, cold, and warm. One of those types of guys. He's like the most incredible Talmud and he lives on my block. He goes with a long frock and an up-hat. And he's like, serious tamachachim. So I'm in the neighborhood. I don't know this guy. I mean, I, I know him. He's on my block. And we're, we're friendly. He's a massive tamachachim. My wife told me she knows him from when he was a bacher. When he was first becoming a bachuva. He was in a motorcycle gang. He was a motorcycle gang. And he married a Gioris. And like, this guy is probably one of the most chashuva tamachachim. You know, tamidachacham in all of Ramah B'Chemesh. And I'm like trying to picture him, you know, like he has a frock and he has a long beard and he has an up hat. And I'm just trying to picture him with like a leather jacket. Like I'm sitting in shul next to him and I'm like, like trying to like feel <laughs> that like, I don't know, maybe I, I've never seen him in mitzvah, I don't know if he has tattoos, I don't know where he's holding, you know. We had once, I had once a guy in, in shul, this guy was like enormous, kind of like an, he was an enormous human being. You know what I mean when I say like a, because there are some people that are like, just like tall or what. this person had like girth to him, you know, like he's like came to here. And so he would wear these white shirts on Shabbos, but they don't make white shirts for people that size. You know, they make you know yeshiva shirts for like, you know, either skinny yeshiva bacham or fat yeshiva bacham. But they don't make for girth people. Right? They don't make, like, that's not... When they're... What if, when when Charles Tywood is making their shirts for yidden, they're not doing it for, you know, for this guy. So he would come to shul and his, his arms would be like pushing the fabric out. And you could see... All of the tattoos that he had all over his arm—dragons, green and yellow and orange. It's like Darren, <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was like this. And I, so I'm curious, you know. So I asked one of my "What's his story?" They said he was in Hell's Angels. And like now he's like from guy sitting and learning, serious dude. I guess he lifted so much weight at some point in his life that he just like expanded as a human being. It's like you know, like it's not a normal thing. Like he's just like like this, but at some point he was in Hell's Angels. I can't imagine, having gone through that, coming out on the other end, he must have such unbelievable clarity. It's a clarity that some of us yearn for. You ever hear, like, guys or girls say something like, I wish I would have messed up more in high school. Because then I would know for sure. Right? Like, those people that, like, messed up in high school and they left that life behind, like, they have a clarity that I don't have. You have guys in Yeshiva come to me all the time, like, I really blew it, Revi, I should have partied my brains up in high school. (laughs) I'm like, you didn't didn't blow it as badly as you think you did. It's okay. You know, like... uh, but, but I, I, I understand. I understand. The guys that... I used to walk around when I was younger. I would come back to Eretz Yisrael. And, uh, and I was still a bacher, And I would, I would walk into Mary Yeshiva to see some of my friends. And I would be walking down, you know, like in the base medrash. And I would look over there and I would be like, okay, that guy was thrown out of high school. And that guy was the captain of MTA hockey. And that was... They're all psychotic. Like the, the biggest lunatics in the world. And like crazy, crazy people. But the Malcolm Shabali, there was a clear beer of this is not the person that I am. You ever hear the story of Weinberger tells? This is one of my favorite Weinberger stories. You know the story with the mirror? This is one of my favorite Weinberger stories. When he was a Rebbe in Ezra Academy, so he said he drove, he had a large family, so he drove one of those big yeshiva shavans. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like driving a bus. Yeah, and they have, You know the mirrors on the side are like those rectangular mirrors that like stick off. So Weinberger said, he goes, you know, my wife wasn't the best driver, so like very often she would drive around and like she would like knock into something and the mirror would like get knocked off. So one day, he's in Ezra Academy, he drives in, the mirror had been knocked off, and this thug Ezra Academy comes in, He kid comes in, he comes in to Weinberger's share, and he goes, Rabbi, I replaced the mirror on your, uh, on your van. So Rav Weinberger looked at this guy, and he goes, where'd you get the mirror from? Like, he knew he, knew he was a Ganov, you know, like, uh, <laughs> where'd you get the mirror from? Rabbi, don't worry about it, I took care of you. So he said, okay, he starts yeah. teaching. Halfway through the class, the principal walks into the room. She throws open the door. She looks at the kid. She goes, what'd you do with my mirror? (laughs) She had the same van as Rav Weinberger. The kid looked at it. So he sat there. He goes, listen, do respect. You're the principal, but he's the rabbi. He needed the mirror. (laughs) Rav Weinberger says, that guy today is learning in Lakewood. And he's still the same guy. He's still a ganiv. But (laughs) Rav Weinberger said, one second. This is not the end of the story. Rav Weinberger said, he doesn't steal things now, but the same midah, the same like, gotta hop something. Is the same midah, but now it's to chapa to tochap another half an hour of learning, to chapa chesed. The same midah is there, it's just there was a beer in that place, and that's what expanded it. What's the lowest level? What's the 49th level? Obviously it's going to have to do with the realm of intimacy, because the most human thing that we do is within the realm of intimacy. And the most despicable act that a person can do within the realm of intimacy is the act of incest. That's the single most disgusting thing. Ever. And that's what Lot did. Lot, anyone know what the word Lot means? I didn't know this. I never knew, what does Lot mean? There certain words you know, I never knew what Lot, Lot means. Klala. Lot was the four, he was Lot was the bechina of the 49th level of Tumah. That's who he was. That's why Avram Havim said to me we have to separate. So I'm, I'm Kedusha, you're klala, we can't mix. There's nothing here for us. We have to separate from each other. It makes sense then that Lot... Was Mizana with his own child. Anyone here uh, work in education? Yeah, what grade? Pre 1A. Pre 1A, perfect. Do you have cubbies? Mm hmm. I want to tell you, I-, I think we need to bring back cubbies. Cubbies, like, I don't know why only pre 1A people get to have cubbies. Wouldn't you want to have cubbies in seminary? I'm, st- I'm thinking of starting a movement to bring cubbies to Mivasayu. That every guy should have, like, a hook. You know, like put on his jacket and like a knapsack and a cubby. It's a very special thing. Can you imagine what it was like for Lot's kid to go to Gan? It, like, you say you come in, Lot's kid comes in. Oh, what's your name? Sarala. What's your name? Avramala. What's your name? Moav. Oh, really? Moav. You know what Moav means? Me'av. It means my grandfather is my father. That's a despicable name. You go, what's your name? I'm the child of incest. That's a terrible name. Yosef Assadik is also a bad name. Why? Because Rakhliminu has him, and she goes, I want another one. <laughs> give me another one. That's also a hard one, knowing that you're not enough for your parents. Okay, but say that. But Moab is certainly a worse name. What's the Pshat that Lot named his own child Moab? It's a terrible name to give a child. It's almost like he's celebrating the fact that this is the this is the product of incest. How could that possibly be? And we know that who comes from Moab, ultimately Rus comes from Moab, Davna Melech comes from Moab, Melcham HaMashiach comes from Moab. So how could it be that the lowest, most despicable act that a person could do becomes the highest point? The answer is exactly that. Within the worst thing that we do, within the lowest level that we're on, what's and what's buried, what's hidden inside of there? The op- not just an opportunity for greatness. The greatest possibility that you have to achieve greatness in your life can only come after you fall into levels that you could not possibly imagine. It's just—it's clear as day. This is why, when Russ was told by Nami, he said, do no, you don't want to be a Jew? You're going to be persecuted. You don't want to be here. This is not a place to be." What did Russ say to her? The only thing that will separate us is death. Why did Rus say it like that? The only thing that will separate us is death. Why is she using a Lashem separation? The answer is because Rus was well aware of her lineage. She understood that she was the child of Moav. She was the great 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 granddaughter of Moaf. Avram Avinu said to, uh, said to Lot, We have to split from each other. We can't be here together anymore. You're Tuma, I'm Tahara. Tuma and Tahara don't mix. You need to go your way and I'll go my way. You're a ganav." I'm not interested in being with Aganov. Avram Vinu is completely, you know, he's completely in the realm of giving, not in the realm of taking. Rus understands the nature of her soul. She understands that she is the Nitzot's in the worst moment of Lot, in Lot's lowest moment, Rus understood that the Kedusha of her soul was there in that moment. So she says to, to Naomi, no, 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 we're not separating. I belong to you. This is the part that you've been looking for. I'm that part. So it doesn't matter. I'm with you. That was the tikkun that Rus brought to Ma'af. Mameila, we can understand something exceptional. What does Bilam do? Bilam comes and he says, "I'm going to curse Klal Yisrael." What does the Gemara say? We can understand every single thing that that Bilam wanted to say. We can understand what he wanted to say based on what he said. For example, we know that Bilam said, "Matovu alcha Yaakov," right? So what was he trying to say? If he said, how wonderful are the tents of Klal Yisrael, referring to the Bate Medrash, referring to the Bate Knesios, the shuls and the yeshivas, so what did he want to say? He wanted to curse that Klal Yisrael should not have shuls or yeshivas. Mishkeno Yisech Yisrael, That Klal Yisrael is going to have the indwelling of God's presence. What did he want to say? That Klal Yisrael should not have the shekinah. So we can, re- we can understand what Balaam wanted to say based on what he said. So when Bilam comes to curse Klai Yisrael, he gives Brachus. But the Gemara says that every single one of his curses actually came true, except for one. The only one that wasn't undone was Matovu Alecha Yaakov. Bilam figured out how to turn all of Matovu Alecha Yaakov, except for that first couple of words, back into a curse. How did he do it? Because he said as follows. Moab is the Gematria of 49. Moab, in its essence, is the lowest level of Tummah, It's the most natural Tummah that exists in the world. If I can't curse Klal Yisrael, because, Klal Yisrael won't, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu won't let me curse Klal Yisrael, what will I do? I'll attach them to Klala itself. So when they were Mizana with the Benos Moab, it wasn't just Stamaznus. This was Klal Yisrael attaching themselves to the 49th level of Tummah. And what did they do in that 49th level of Tummah? They acted in the most despicable way that a person could act. What they do? They worship Balpar. How does a person serve Balpar? Girls, no. Well, that would be a good one. Defecation. Isn't it? Defecation. Isn't it? is so really the Gemara What was that? They would go to the bathroom, and the more, the the more public, the more. Use lashon You can figure it out for yourself. The more. Um, we say this nicely. The more that one defecated in an improper way in front of Baal Por, the more embarrassing the act, the greater the service. Meaning, when Klai went down to Benos Moav and they attached themselves to the 49th level of Tuma, it wasn't just that they attached themselves to the 49th level of Tuma; They started worshipping an idol that denigrates the very nature, the dignity of a human being. That's the way they were behaving. So Memeila, if you're holding on the 49th level of tuma, so there's no purpose for your existence. So Memeila, HaKadosh Baruch brought him a geifa and started killing everybody. And where did that come from? What was the intergenerational trauma that led to that? That already started by Shimon himself. Because we know that Shem violates Dina. What do Shimon and Levi do? We'll focus specifically on Shimon though. What do they do? They get all the people in Shem to get a bris and certainly Shechem needed to be punished. He made our sister into a Zaina, right? That's what Shemar and Levi said to Yaakov. So what was Yaakov's Tainah? He said, but you did it with no dignity. You know, war should be fought with dignity. There's rules. There's a Geneva Convention, right? Whereas we understand that there's a time and a place for war. Human beings understand there's such a thing as drawing a line in the sand and saying, thou shall not pass. And if you do, if we're threatened, if you're coming and you're, and you're coming to take us over, we understand. There's such a thing. But there's dignity in war, no? That's today, it's a sick, it's a diseased world that we live in, that today, you can't tell the difference. You know, we say like all the lines are blurred. We don't know who's a boy and who's a girl. We don't know what marriage is anymore. We're losing all sense of blurred lines. We don't even know what terrorism is anymore. It used to be we knew what terrorism was. Today, terrorism is heroism. When a Palestinian, when that guy goes, and he takes an innocent Jewish life, a man walking down the street, in Israeli life, and he stabs him with an axe. And he murders him with an axe. You know what they do? They give out candies in Gaza, and the world doesn't say boo. You don't even hear about it here in America. The world doesn't say boo. Why? What do you mean? This is, this is, uh, this is freedom fighting. This is beautiful. No, it's not. This is a despicable thing. These aren't people with a uniform. You're not going to a battlefield. You're just murdering innocent people on the streets. And today, that's justified. No, that's sick. I understand. I understand. A person goes to war, that makes sense. People die in wars. But to target innocent people, that's terrorism. So now what do they do? They turn it around. They go, Israel is state-sponsored terrorism. You ever hear that shprach that they use? Israel is state-sponsored terrorism. No, no, it's not. It's a government trying to protect its citizenry. That's called war. This is what Yaakov Venus said to Shemuel Navy. He said, the fact that you wanted to avenge your sister, that's understandable. But you did it in a despicable way. You tricked them into getting a bris they were acting in a way that they, the youth, they thought, like, we're friends. Like, we're coming along with you. And then in, in their weakest moment, when they had no capacity to fight back, you slaughtered them. You created, Yaakov, Vinu said, a separation between me and the world. They're going to come after me now, the world. Why would the world come after Yaakovinu? Couldn't they understand that Yaakovinu's daughter was violated? Of course the world could understand that. But how was the world talking about Claudius Yisrael in that moment? How were they talking about Shimon and Levi? Did you hear what they did? They They, they tricked them and then they slaughtered them. This is not the way you didn't fight a war. That was Yaakov Venus taina. So Shrem, of course they deserved it. But that's, there's no dignity in that. There's no covet in that. You created an unhealthy separation. So years later it comes back. The same Shimon that behaved in that way, that didn't act with dignity in war, his great-great-grandchildren also. They fell prey to Baal Pa'ar. They fell prey to the Benos Moab. They went down to that place of no covet, of no dignity whatsoever. All except for one thing was lost. Mishkanay Sechah Yisrael was lost. All of Matovo was lost. Except for Matovo HaOlecha Yaakov. Except for the shuls and yeshivas. That's an amazing thing that Kla Yisrael has. No matter where we've been, you go to anyone here ever go to Poland? Do you ever go on like one of those like, uh, trips? If you ever go on one of those trips, don't go on the ones where they only take you to the concentration camps. It was a beautiful, beautiful life for hundreds and hundreds of years in Eastern Europe. We built magnificent schools and yeshivas, the, the, you know, places of chesed. It was unbelievable. We've always had shuls and yeshivas, no? That we've always had. You could say a lot of things about Klai Yisrael, but we've never given up on shuls and yeshivas. It was the only one that lasted. Why was that the only one that lasted? So listen to what Rav Shapir says. It's not beautiful. Who's going to be the tikkun? Who's going to be the ones that restore dignity to Klai Yisrael? If Shimon lost dignity by the way that he fought the war against Shechem, and if Shevet Shimon lost dignity, and again, 24,000 of Shevet Shimon were lost, Kenega the 24,000 people in Shechem that they killed, they acted with no dignity in the beginning. Memela they lost their dignity at the end. But there needs to be a Tikkun. There needs to be an intergenerational Tikkun. Where will that Tikkun come from? The Tikkun must come from shuls and yeshivas. That's, that's why it was left. It was the only thing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't take away. So if you want to restore a to Klai Yisrael, it has to come from yeshivas. It has to come from shuls and yeshivas. And we can understand why the 24,000 Talmudim of Rabbi Kiva were punished so intensely. Because as we said in the very beginning of this year, these 32 days are Kaneged Kavr. These are the 32 days of Kavr. This amount of the year, when we're building up the 49 levels going up to Matan Torah, this is supposed to undo that 49th level of Moab. This is supposed to bring in David Malchus and Meshichu. We're supposed to get to Shavuos. What happens to Shavuos? Shavuos? is the 50th level. Who was born on Shavuos? David Amalek was born on Shavuos. In other words, if we go through the process of Sefir HaOmer, what are we doing? We're undoing all the 49 levels, finding that Nitzitz of Kedusha, transforming the 49 levels of Tuma into the 49 levels of Kedusha, which brings us up to David Malchus HaMeshichah. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The first 32 days of that process are dignity. The last 18 are chai. A person who has no dignity has no life. That's, that's, that's a formula that you must know. I don't know how it happened. It's a very strange thing that happened in Qal Yisrael today. There's, there's skewed notions of dignity on both sides. Some say dignity means wealth. And you should know, wealth and dignity have nothing to do with each other. And there are people that are chasing wealth. It becomes their life's ambition. It's a, ser- it's, it's a very scary thing. You ask an 18-year-old kid today, what do you want to be? I want to be wealthy. It's a very interesting thing. That's not a normal thing. On the flip side, and I don't know how this happened because there's no dignity in poverty, there's also like a thing, I'm poor. And like the, the celebrating poverty. Poverty is not something to be celebrated either. A like, Person who doesn't have the capacity to be able to you know, be secure in life. That's, there's, there's no dignity in that either. Somehow on both sides of the aisle, it's like, I'm poor. I have nothing in my life. All I do is X, whatever X is. I don't wanna say, it doesn't matter. There's no dignity in poverty and there's no dignity in wealth. Where's dignity? Dignity is in, I'm a mensch. What does it mean, let's say, in the realm of money? So Rabbi Dr. Abraham J. Tversky said it the best. He said, imagine a client comes to my office. Sits down. Rabbi Twersky says he wants to join with the client. So he says, what are you doing here? So the client says, I don't really know. I don't really think I need to be here. Rabbi Tversky smiles and says, Okay. So if you don't think you need to be here, what are you doing here? My mother made me come. Uh, your mother made you come. And tell me, why does your mother think that you need to be here? He goes, I don't know. I think my mother's ridiculous. I goes, okay, but obviously there's a reason, right? He goes, my mother doesn't like the fact that I like pancakes. She wants me to go to therapy because I like pancakes. And Torsky says he's taken aback. What do you mean? You don't need to go to therapy because you like pancakes. I like pancakes too. So the guy goes, his eyes go wide, he goes, You like pancakes? You should come to my house. I have suitcases and suitcases and suitcases full of pancakes. There's nothing wrong with liking pancakes, right? But if you're hoarding pancakes, there's a problem. (laughs) You ever see these seminary girls? that don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They're, like, squirreling away, like, anything they can just to, like, make sure that they have food for later. It used to be sukkahs so in Eretz Yisrael was a real problem because the yeshivas and seminaries didn't serve food. You would see kids hanging out at the hotels, like, hoping that some wealthy person would invite them in for a meal. It was real. That's the way it was in the 90s. They managed, like it, They gave us nothing, so we were, like, scrounging for food. There's nothing wrong with having wealth, but it shouldn't be a person's ambition. A person's ambition should have... I have enough money to feel secure now and for the foreseeable future, but this notion of I'm creating—I just heard now, even on the radio as I was driving in—generational wealth. You ever hear that term? Gener- I'm creating generational wealth that my grandchildren and their grandchildren will never need because of the work that I'm doing today. That's not dignified. Whereas dignity means I have, there's a value, there's cover, there's weight to my life. The first thirty-two days are meant to be. I'm here, and there's value to me. That's what then breeds the Chaim. That's what breeds life. The person has no dignity; they can't do anything in this world. That's why sometimes you see in yeshiva, you see a boy who pasha can't make it in yeshiva, he can't wake up in the morning. He's he's a man. He can't do anything. Ten years later, you see the same guy, and he's completely successful. What happened? I thought you what happened. He went to college. He was held responsible. You're either going to pass the test or you're not going to pass the test. Like no, this is not like some uh, high school where you're going to sweet talk your way out of it and your parents are going to donate you know, the new chairs to the gym and all of a sudden the principal goes, "Just just figure out how to pass them. You know? This is college. You're either going to pass or you're going to fail. You're going to get a job. You're either going to perform or you're not going to perform. A person realizes, hey, what I do matters. They start to step up. They build a covenant, And all of a sudden they come alive. A, a, a guy gets married. You see this all the time. A guy gets married. And all of a sudden, the same Lo Ytzla, who, who two years before was barely human, he was walking protoplasm through the base manager, all of a sudden he's like a good husband. Where did it come from? He said, "I have a wife. I have responsibilities. I have to take care of things." I have this shadow from girls all the time. I'm getting this phone. I like him. He's a nice guy. I, I just I don't know. Like, Is he capable?, Like, Is he going to support my family? Is he capable of? Putting... Different cases, obviously different answers, but in general, you have to say there person gets married, they have dignity, There's like, oh I have something to live for, there's a weight to my life there's gravitas, that's where Chaim comes from the mistake of the Talmidim of Rav Rav Kiva was this was the Zman of Kavod Shalom Nagu Kavod Zebizem means that they didn't hold themselves in a way that they understood that it was them who had the capacity to heal, they were the ones sitting in base madrash. they were the only Bracha that was left if I want to restore Matovo it needs to be that it's restored from these Yeshiva Barcherim they didn't know that And we fall for the same thing What if you knew right now This is a scary question What if you knew right now That you were here in this world To rectify something that was Happened a thousand years ago What if you knew A Novi came And he looks at you in the face And he says A thousand years ago This tragedy happened in Claudius, And you were born to fix that What would the feeling that you would have be You might be, you might be afraid You might be like That's like serious business right but I'm guaranteeing you that you would also feel exceptionally empowered. Like, whoa, I could see the whole picture now, right? I could see the Chagadiyah. I could see how this led to this, led to this, led to this, and now I'm here to rectify all of those things. That's the secret of Chagadiyah, by the way. The secret of Chagadiyah is that after a person goes through the Tikkun of all of the 15 steps of the Seder and they arrive at the pinnacle of the of the Seder, and they're able to see, like, okay, and and there's hope, and there's redemption, then at the end of the story, they're able to see, this led to this led to this led to this, so you would know, in that moment, ah, my life has gravitas, there's value here. Weinberger once said, the reason why people don't wake up in the morning is because they have no idea that their life matters. Why should I wake up? What am I waking up for? I was talking to somebody over Shabbos and they're in terrible pain and I'm like I'm hurting for this person because I know how much pain they're in. And they've been dating for a long time. And this guy he's, uh, he's, he's sad, he's lonely. He's not sad like pathetic he's lonely. Like his chaveim are getting married now. Or they're all married already and he's feeling like what's my life? What's my life if I'm not married? And so He's starting to act in, in a way, and I love him very dearly, but he's starting to act in a way that's like, he's willing to date girls that are not necessarily holding at a particular level of observance. He just so badly wants to be a part of something. I, I was trying to tell him, like, in a sweet way, I'm like, no, 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 you're missing something here. Like, whether you're married or you're not married, you're, you're, your life has value. Sometimes we do that, we fall into this trap of like, since I'm not married yet, like, I'm waiting to get married for my life to begin. Wrong. Wrong. Every moment of our life, there's value. If you woken up in the morning, it means there's value. Rav Cook said, "What do we say in uh, Yom Kippur davening? Until Shlom, until you created me, it wasn't worth it for me to be created. And now that I'm created, it's bechol not worth it that I was created because I'm doing nothing with my life." So Rav Cook explained, "That's not what it means. Until you created me, it wasn't my time." and now that it's my time and I'm standing on stage and it's my turn to say my line and I'm here to bring that Tikkun I don't know exactly what Tikkun it is but every moment of our life we're on the lookout we're like okay what would happen what would be the best way that I could behave today that's going to bring a Tikkun in life that I'm going to do something that it's going to be that after 120 they're going to say Taka you did it you had that that was on you you were able to be Mataka in that piece." And now I'm not playing. I'm not saying my line. I'm not playing my role. I'm just, I'm skating through life. Amy Kedai, it's like, what am I up on stage for? If I'm not here to, if I'm not saying my line, what am I, what am I up here doing? And we fall into that trap. No, we fall into the trap of just hanging out on stage. People do that all the time, including myself. It's like, I'm, I'm here. I'm on stage. I'm relaxing on stage. If you're on stage, you're here to do something. Lubavitcher Rebbe was relentless. He was relentless. When I was growing up, I always thought of Lubavitcher Rebbe as a sweetheart, you know, like, a gentle Jew who wanted all of Kla Yisrael to be connected to him. I would go to 770. I was very young, but I would go to 770. The Rebbe was not like an imposing figure in that way. He wasn't like 10 feet tall. He was a sm- like many of the tzaddikim. He was a small man. And obviously he was, you know, like the Hasidim worshipped him, which whatever. There's a lot to talk about there, yeah. But, but I got older, I started reading about the Rebbe. And they came to me and they said, Rebbe, we built 100 new Chabad houses in honor of your birthday this year. And he would go, okay, and next year 200. He was relentless. We're not here. We're not here just to be on stage. We're here to build something. We're here to do something. There's value in that. I'm not. I want to be clear. I'm not against at all. Chas v'sham. I think for those of you that have heard from me before. Like, of course we have to create space for people to feel things. But there's a competing voice that's not in the conversation today. If, you, if you're going to be just feeling your stuff, and you're just going to be sitting in the dreck of your own sad life, and it creates this sort of, like, I'm anchored to just being here on stage doing nothing. But if it actually feels good when somebody comes along, puts a hand on our shoulder, and says, I totally hear that you're going through something. I'm with you in that thing. Let's build something together you should know, a person, you see them, they set up a little bit more straight when you tell them that. It's an amazing thing. So we've done this amazing job of changing the narrative in, our, in today's conversation of giving people space to feel their feelings. But we forgot the other side, which was also important. So go do something with them. Go build something. You're supposed to be here to build something. These twenty four thousand talmidim of Kiva, they were sitting and learning in base medrash, but well, shalom nagu kavod They do not look at each other and say, "Like, but what's the what's the weight of you? What's the value of you? Kavot from lashon of kaved. Where's your where's your sense of being? Where's your sense of purpose? That's what they were lacking. As I said in the beginning, it's a it's a big year of tikkun. We're coming off of we're coming off of a tragic Lagba Omer. Tragic, Lagba Omer. Forty-five Neftarim 45, last year. Forty-five Begmatria Adam. We lost a person last year. We lost an entire person. Whatever that means. A lema of a person. We lost an entire being of a person on Lagba Which I think for anyone who's paying attention, that means that we have to restore our personhood. Restore a sense of mission. Restore a sense of value. I think we're doing a good job. I think we are. I'm hopeful for Klal Yisrael. I'm coming off of a Shabbaton, where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people got together in the Stanford Hilton, and I saw, I saw these breakout rooms of young men and young women getting together and talking about how are they going to bring Torah back to Klal Yisrael. There was a sense of mission and a sense of purpose. Shabbos didn't end until like ten o'clock at night. It was. Singing and, and it was beautiful, and there was a sense of purpose in the room. It was a, a special thing to be a part of. There's a reason that girls are coming out at 10 o'clock in the morning. Klai Yisrael is a beautiful... It's okay. We have to continue growing. We're not satisfied. We have to keep going. We have to build something. It's beautiful. It's wonderful, and it needs to continue. And, in, and if I may, and not at all as a criticism or a musr chas Shalom. We need so, so, so much more, though. We're doing great. We're doing great, Baruch Hashem. We can feel positive and optimistic and hopeful and all those wonderful things. But we need to be sharing what we have. We need to be making sure that those that are not sitting around this table are sitting around this table. Not necessarily this table, but another table. And and inviting them in and bringing them closer and understanding that every chesed that we do and every time that we have the opportunity to say to somebody, come, we're going to a shir, I'm inviting you over. The, you know how many girls uh, I get these phone calls Maison B'choyom Rabbi I'm in terrible pain I'm in terrible pain this, this girl that I was friendly with she's dating somebody seriously and I feel like she's totally forgotten me and it makes sense she's busy with her chassan or her future chassan and but also there's a in pain over here right? and it, and, and that girl must pay attention to her chassan. that's the right thing to do she's building that relationship she needs to build the foundation L'Maisa there's a girl that's in terrible pain and you know how many stupid things are said to her uh, thank you, thank you. Thank you for closing your eyes and saying it softly to me and pitying me. That made me feel so much better. Thank you. No, like, is somebody really suffering there and you have the capacity to like talk to her and, and build her up and help her and we have to be doing these things and sensitive and sensitive because, they're, because people are in terrible pain. And I'm in pain for my Talmud who's in, who's in such pain. It really, like, it was the only thing that stared me all over Shabbos. I'm like, ah, he's a suffering. He's so lonely. He just needs a voice. He just needs a voice that says to him, like, we're with you. It's not for me to tell him who he should or shouldn't date, but just to put an arm around his shoulder and say, thank you for sharing. We need that. We need, we need so much more of that. And Be'ezer Hashem. Hashem. The job of the 24,000 Talmudim River Kiva has been left to us. That's why every year in this run we go back into that period of Aveilus and we mourn them. We don't mourn them Stam because Jews like to feel bad things. It's to recognize that it's our responsibility to rectify that Aveira of Shalom that, to take that 49th level of Tumah in Hashem, to celebrate Baomer, to celebrate Shavuos, to be Matan Torah, to celebrate the birth of David HaMelech and ultimately Melech HaMashiach. Hey girls, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for coming.